want to remind you that this morning is an opportunity for you to give at the end of the service uh, to the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, where 100% of what you give goes to the foreign mission field. Uh, as uh, Tim uh, so graciously put it, today is Let Your Student Guy Preach Day, and uh, I, I put out on social media yesterday, and uh, some of you may have seen it, that um, if, if, uh, if you weren't here today, uh, this is your only opportunity probably until July uh, when it's part two of those days. And so thank you guys for being here uh, today. And, uh, and uh, for those that are missing, uh, they'll just have to go on the website and listen to it uh, on there. And uh, I told all our college students, I said, uh, I said hey, um, if you're in town, show up uh, because I'm preaching a, a message on the next generation and uh, I'm going to be, be sharing some things, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know where it's going to ring out there if we don't have any of our college students here. And uh, the fact that it's January 30th and the majority of them are back home uh, is, is, is where they are. Uh, and, I mean, December 30th, isn't it? It ain't January yet. December 30th, they're back home, uh, and, and that's okay. And uh, then some of them are out of town as well. And uh, so uh, I, I also think it's fitting um, that uh, Laney came back. Laney's going to be one of our new interns. Laney, wave at everybody. All right, you know, we try to get as many of our college students on the mission field as possible and serving as possible during the summer. And uh, can I share this? Is it okay? Can I share what you're doing this summer? Yeah, I can share what you're doing this summer. Um, she just got accepted to be a part of Cafe 1040, uh, which means she's going to be headed to that, um, that uh, 1040 window this summer. Um, to, to be on mission for the summer, and uh, so uh, I'm excited about that. Um, I decided that since you came back uh, so far from down the road in Winder to be here today, I'd point that out, okay? All right, we'll have a ton of our students serving this summer uh, in different places around the globe and around the United States, and so uh, uh, you giving uh, to uh, Lottie Moon is, is very fitting, and I thank you guys already for what you've done uh, this year as well. Now, uh, what is this about today? Uh, you know, um, sometimes when, when, uh, when you know that you're going to get to preach a couple of times a year, uh, especially because you guys know I, I pastored for a couple of years down in South Georgia and did some interim work at a couple of places, and so I've got a stack of sermons. You understand what I'm saying, right? And uh, it, it's very easy if you're just preaching once or twice a year uh, here uh, to pull out one of those that you've got memorized. Um, and, uh, and, and just roll with it. Um, but this last year, there's been a big emphasis on the next generation in our Georgia Baptist Convention and uh, in Southern Baptist life in general. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to do something different today. And uh, I wanted to do something uh, that I haven't done before. And so if this stinks, uh, you guys let me know afterwards. And uh, if I go preach somewhere else, I will never preach it again or I'll fix it before I do, Okay. All right, so, uh, so you guys bear with me on that today, if you will. Go ahead and take your Bibles, though, and turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. We're going to uh, begin reading in verse 6 all the way down through verse 10. In 2010, Billy Graham said, uh, for many, uh, Far too many young people coming of age today have no spiritual or emotional roots. They have been deprived of values by an agnostic and contemporary culture. With that statement in mind, I want to ask the question, what kind of legacy do you desire to leave the next generation. What kind of legacy do you desire to leave for the next generation? For many of us who are parents, we would love for our children to be successful financially. We'd love for our children to have happy marriages. We'd love for our children to have children that we can have 
grandchildren that we can spoil, right? Uh, that's what we would love for. But the truth of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, the legacy that we should desire to leave, and if this is not your primary legacy, then listen, you need to have some time alone with you and God and get this straight. Because the desire that you should have, the legacy that you should desire to leave your children, uh, the next generation, maybe now it's your grandchildren, is for them to love Jesus, for them to be willing to live their life on mission for Jesus, and for them to be able to look at your life as an example for what it looks like to live for Christ each and every day. Now when we read Joshua chapter 2, verse 6 through verse 10, this is a transitional text. This text gives us kind of a summary of what's going to take place throughout the book of Judges. Uh, as, uh, did I say Joshua? I meant Judges. We'll go back to Joshua in a minute. But uh, what's going to happen throughout the book of Judges? As we see in verse uh, 6 through verse 10, really a cycle of a generation that is faithful and then a generation that is not faithful. And what you find throughout the book of Judges is you find that, that God's people, the Israelites, would be faithful for a while, right? And then they would begin to, to not be faithful. And so uh, uh, God would send them a judge. And, and, and then all of a sudden, what would happen? You'd create the cycle over and over again. And, and they'd face punishment for their unfaithfulness. And they'd come along a judge. And then things would get right again. And it was just over and over and over again. Really not that far from what we see happening even today in the culture that we live in today. But what I want to do is I want to look at this text and I want to see today some things that we find in Judges chapter 2 and then even in Joshua chapter 24, some, some markers for this generation that comes that's unfaithful and then how that applies to us. This is a transitional text that goes from Joshua 24 where things are going great. Man, they have been in the promised land and Joshua is doing uh, some uh, awesome things as far as the ministry of God is concerned. And Joshua has given a directive in Joshua 24. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in Judges chapter 2. Joshua has died. And what we find is that uh, we get a, a snapshot of a generation that's faithful. And then in verse 10 these words come about. In verse 10 what we're told is this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which we had done for Israel. What a warning. What a warning for all of us. But I don't want us to just see this as a warning, but I also want to see this as an encouragement to not miss out on an opportunity to leave a legacy. To see that encouragement this morning, we'll see three markers of a generation that did not follow the Lord and we'll apply it by asking the question of what we can do as a church to be effective in making sure the next generation follows the Lord and continues the work that he has started. So if you'll stand with me as we honor God's word, beginning in Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. You guys stand with me as we read. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the, in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this morning as we look at your word that you help us to see, Lord, what marked this generation that did not know you. But Lord, you also help us to see, Lord, the opportunity that was there for them to know you. 
And Lord, help us to apply that to our lives as individuals, our lives as parents, our lives as grandparents, our lives as aunts, our lives as uncles, our lives as a church, so that the next generation may know you and may love your work. So Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Two generations, one faithful, one with one of the heroes of the Old Testament, Joshua, and yet another one that did not know the Lord. You have to ask yourself the question, what happened? You have to ask yourself the question, how is it that a generation that is only one generation removed from entering the land of Canaan, a generation that is only two generations removed from crossing the Red Sea, from being given the Ten Commandments, from being provided for over and over again with wilderness, or miracles in the wilderness. How in the world did they become another generation? There are three markers that we see in this text. The first is that they did not know the Lord. In verse 10 it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Well, what does it mean to know the Lord? Well, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. He goes on in verse 24 and says, The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took up a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Then Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. But yet we find ourselves in chapter 2 of Judges, which takes place clearly very closely after Joshua 24. And we find ourselves finding another generation that did not know the Lord. If you go back to Joshua 24, you'll find a couple of things that knowing the Lord involves. One of those is that knowing the Lord involves obedience. Joshua tells the people, choose today whom you will serve. Knowing the Lord involves commitment. The people committed to, to serve the Lord. They said, as for, for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. Uh, they said, we will serve the Lord. But yet knowing the Lord also involves knowing his word. The Bible tells us there in Joshua 24 that after he gave those instructions, he wrote those words down in the law of the Lord. So clearly something took place from Joshua uh, giving a, a command to, to those in his generation, those around him, uh, of, of choosing the Lord, of, of not worshiping idols, of, uh, of, of knowing God's word, of being committed to him and their children. And their children. First, they did not know the Lord the second thing that we find in this passage is that they did not know the works of the Lord. As I asked earlier, how in the world can you be only two generations removed from, from crossing the Red Sea? How in the world can you be only one generation removed from entering the promised land and yet not know the works of the Lord? 
This is, this is likely not telling us that they didn't uh, know in their minds what God had done. I mean, if you had been a part of the people that went into the promised land, don't you think you would have told your children about it? Some of these children may have been even young children at this point in time. But, but instead, what we find is not that they did not truly know the Lord, but maybe it was that in their day-to-day life, they, they sort of forgot or, or they became apathetic. Tim Keller says that what had took place here is that the saving acts of God were no longer precious to them. The warning is this for us. The warning is that privilege and prosperity will do that to a generation. The warning is that privilege and prosperity will cause a generation to miss the works of the Lord. And here's why. Because what happens is, is we get comfortable And when we get comfortable, we begin to lose our commitment. And when we begin to lose our commitment, we begin to lose our, or we begin to become complacent, right? And before long, what happens is, is that then we begin to compromise the truth of God's words. So that comfortability leads to complacency, which leads to a lack of commitment in our lives, which leads to us compromising the truth of God's word in our life. And guys, listen, however prosperous you are, However privileged I may be, listen, it is that much easier and is that much more dangerous for our children, for the next generation, those below us, to miss out on the works of God. Because when we get comfortable, what do we do? We sit, don't we? Because when we get comfortable, what do we do? We like it the way it is, don't we? Because when we get comfortable, what do we do? We quit taking risks, don't we? When we get comfortable, what do we do? We look around and go, look at us. Look what God did. And the next generation will miss the works of the Lord. See, they hadn't seen it with their own eyes. Many of them hadn't seen it with their own eyes. They'd heard the stories. But yet somewhere along the way, they had missed the preciousness of God's work. I believe, and God's word says this starts in The home, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you great and splendid cities which you did not build. I love this. This is, this is telling the people before they ever get into the land what they're supposed to be doing to make sure that their children don't become another generation. You catch that? And houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and home sisters which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and you are satisfied. Then watch yourself. Then watch yourself. That you do not forget the Lord you brought, who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Do you know why it starts in the house? Do you know why it starts in the home? Because listen, what God was doing was laying out for the people of Israel this warning. Listen, if you are not continually sharing with your children the work of God in your life, if you are not continually sharing with your children the law of the Lord, if you are not continually reminding your children of what he has done in your life and what he has done in their life, then listen, when they get to a place in their life where they are satisfied where they are full where they've got everything that they need then listen and listen well if you're not careful they will turn from the truth and by the way here's what I believe has happened 
My students love Tommyology. It gets them absolutely nothing. It's worth absolutely nothing, but it's when I'm going to say something I believe. So do not go tell somebody that God's word believes this or says this. It's just what I believe. You got it? I'm sure I can find it somewhere in here to justify, okay? I'll proof text it one day. Joking. I believe, based on anecdotal evidence, that what has happened in our churches today is that in many places we have had generations come through who still fill a pew, who still walk through the doors, who still may even do leadership, but they've forgotten the things of the Lord. They've enjoyed being church members more than they've enjoyed seeing people come to know Christ. They've enjoyed their pews or their chairs or whatever they're sitting in more than they've enjoyed getting up and going. They've enjoyed the traditions that they liked when they were children more than they have the risk it takes to reach a new generation. And so as a result of that, listen, that cycle continues and continues and continues. And until a church breaks that cycle, that church will struggle reaching the next generation. It will. They did not know the Lord. They did not know the works of the Lord. Why? Well, go read Judges 2, verse 1 through 5. Because the previous generation missed an opportunity. Because the previous generation missed an opportunity. Judges chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. says these words. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I've sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. Did y'all catch that? Did you catch what happened? The angel shows up, and he tells the people of Israel, I promised you, I'm going to give you the land. I promised you, you would wipe out the enemy. I promised you, every Canaanite would be driven out. And you missed an opportunity. Because you were disobedient. Because you fell into idolatry. Because you fell into idolatry. The Israelites, the faithful generation of the elders of Joshua should have wiped out the entire Canaanite population. But they didn't do it because of their disobedience and their idolatry. They missed an opportunity that would have set up the next generation on a different course and would have protected them from the infiltration of idol worship and all the other sins and the thorns in their sides that were going to come. Sometimes I love to read God's word and say, what if? What if? The elders, the generation of Joshua, 
wouldn't have just went into the land of Canaan and kicked some tail and took some names, but also would have been fully obedient and not fallen into idolatry? Would we have even had any need for the book of Judges? Now, I know somebody in here is going to go, time out, Tommy. We need judges because that eventually gets us to Jesus. I, I get that, okay? I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. It just might have been a whole lot more fun book to read. You know what I mean? The previous generation missed out on an opportunity because of idolatry. So what is idolatry? I'm glad you asked. I found this definition. Definition. It's making a good aspect of something into the ultimate source of security, identity, and power. Ooh. Ooh. Just in case you didn't hear that, I want to say it again. It's making a good aspect of something into the ultimate source of security, identity, and power. So let me ask a question. Do we have any idols that are causing us to miss an opportunity to impact the next generation? Good things. Aspects of good things. But yet they have become the ultimate source of security, identity, and power. You say, why is that important question asked, Tommy? Well, number one, because we want our next generation to do what they need to do for the Lord. But number two, and it's an important question to ask because of this. Things will sneak up and become idols if we're not careful in a heartbeat. Traditions. They'll become idols. Buildings, they'll become idols. Comfortability, they'll become idols. Lifestyles, they'll become idols. Social structures, they'll become idols. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But the truth of the matter is this. Is that there are many churches across this globe who are not reaching the next generation and who are dying and the doors are closing because they have fallen into the same trap as the Israelites fell into. They have gotten to the promised land sometime in their history. They've become secure. Their identity has become part of what they used to be. They've become privileged and prosperous. And they've forgotten the way of the Lord. They've forgotten to show the next generation and tell the next generation. And they've decided that it wasn't worth taking the risk to reach the next generation because they had too many idols that they were holding on to. So what's the application? Because if we stop there, it's like, man, we are hopeless. This is terrible. What's happening? Like, you know... That the next generation's all going to die and go to hell, and there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, that's what it sounds like. I mean, these were God's people that, that walked around the wall seven times, and the walls fell down, and they even fell into this trap. Yes, that is a warning. That if God's people who trusted him enough to walk across a dry riverbed and trusted him enough to walk around the wall of Jericho seven times and trusted him enough to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, if God's people that did that could still drop the ball and miss out on the next generation, yes, it is a warning that it can happen to anybody. But there's also an application to be made because there is an awesome opportunity that we have. 
This is where it's going to flip. You got it? While, while Judges chapter 2 was a transition from some good stuff to some bad stuff, we're about to transition in this sermon from some bad stuff to some good stuff, okay? How do we make sure we leave a legacy of what the Lord has done? Number one, teach your children. Number one, teach your children. Listen, your children need to be in a Bible study. Your children need to be somewhere hearing God's word. Your children need to be hearing it from you each and every day. Your children need to have you opening the word of God and sharing with them the truth of his word each and every day. And that is hard. I can tell you it's hard because I got an 18-month-old and I got a 5-year-old and they don't always like to sit still when it comes that time at night to open God's word and read it. That's when Reese wants to go play an instrument somewhere or where she wants to take all her other books that have, you know, like the little things you can rub and touch and feel and all that and play with those instead. That's when that happens. I know it's hard. But listen, it is not our responsibility as a church to raise your children. It is your responsibility. Do you hear me? It is your responsibility. It is our responsibility to come alongside you and help to equip you. You see them a whole lot more than I do. You see them a whole lot more than Matt does. Listen, the next generation is not going to rise or fall based on some student guy or some children's guy. Do you hear me? It's not. It's going to do it based on you and you and you and you and you and you and me as a parent. Not as the student guy. So it starts at the home. It's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 was talking about. So not only do we teach our children, but secondly, we share the stories of how he's worked in our life. We share the stories of how he's worked in our life. I said this to some folks that took that parenting class with me back in the fall, and I want to say it again. Do you know that your children should know your testimony better than you do? When I said that in that class, some people's eyes got big. I want to say that again. Your children should know your testimony, your story better than you do. If they don't, you're not doing your job as a parent. If your children can't tell me the day that you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior and the change that that made in your life, that is a sign that there is a problem. Normally when I'd say stuff like this, I'd go hide behind the pulpit. Y'all remember that? Okay, I'm not right now. That's how strongly I believe that. I could repeat to you over and over again my dad's story. Of how that his parents were about to divorce. Of how that as a nine-year-old boy, he went to a vacation Bible school. Of how that he was challenged to, to, to learn the books of the Bible that week and come back on Sunday and get a new Bible. Of how that J.D. Sheehan shared with him the truth of God's word. And that is how as a nine-year-old boy, he gave his heart and life to Jesus. And how that shortly after that, my grandparents got their lives right with Jesus. And how did my granddad, who died when I was one years old, on my birthday, 
I became a minister of the gospel. Went from singing in the bars and the honky-tonks to sharing Jesus. And I can tell you of the impact that that made in my life. And in my cousin's lives. And in my brother's life. And listen, my family is messed up sometimes, as messed up as the rest of them. I promise you. I could tell you story after story after story, and I hope they don't go listen to this online. But if they do, they'll tell you I'm telling the truth. But I can tell you their story. I can tell you how God worked in their life. Can your children do the same? Can your grandchildren do the same? Teach our children. I gotta hurry. Share the stories of how he's worked in your life. And let them see the work of the Lord. Let them see the work of the Lord. We love to point to the past. I just told you stories of the past, didn't I? I don't cry all the time on Wednesday nights when I share with teenagers. And I don't know why I'm doing this today. I did it last time I preached, and I'm not going to be that guy. So I'm sorry. Um, Do you know what impacted me more than even those stories that my dad shared? Literally doing inner city missions and ministry side by side with him in downtown Columbus. Every Saturday morning. We couldn't get the community to show up on a Sunday because of cultural differences and all those different kind of things back in the 90s, 80s, late 80s. We tried, but we could reach their children and their teenagers. And every Saturday morning, we would literally have Sunday school on Saturday and then play basketball in the back parking lot with a bunch of inner city teenagers. My dad allowed me to see the work of the Lord. Not just in the past, but in the present. Guys, you've experienced this before. You have. You've been on mission trips as an entire church where your children have gone with you, haven't you? There's there's nothing like that, is there? Listen. Yesterday, I was down in my basement, and the day before, because it was really bad, and I was reorganizing a storage room, I guess is what you call it, right? And after three years being uh, uh, saying we're going to do it, I finally went and bought these storage shelves and went downstairs and took everything out of these boxes, these cardboard boxes. I found three sets, three boxfuls of books that were supposed to be in my office, uh, one set Dr. Mills had given me back years ago, and he'd asked me about it like a year ago, and I was like, yeah, it's somewhere in my house. I can't find it. It was in a box in the bottom of my basement. It was great. I found it. Treasury of great preaching. It's like all kinds of awesome sermons from, from like all of history. And, and, and I found all these books, right? 
But you know what else I found? I found my dugout jacket from, from when I was in high school. Right? I mean, it's one thing for me to tell Brady and Cooper and Madison and Reese that I played ball and all that stuff. It's another thing to be able to be like, hey, what I do, Brady? I gave you the jacket, and I pulled it out, and I was like, hey, Brady, take this. I don't want this anymore. I mean, it's like way too big for him now, right? But the point is, he's never going to wear it. If he does, he'll look like it's a long time ago, right? But I was able to share that with him. I found this picture of Mallory from her senior year in high school. She's going to get on to me for this. And I took it upstairs, and I said, hey, Madison, Brady, Cooper, Reese was asleep at this point. I said, look how hot your mom was in high school, too. I did. So they could see with their own eyes, right? So they could see. It's one thing to tell. It's another thing to see, isn't it? And as cool as it is to see pictures or see memorabilia, think how much more awesome it is when they see with their own eyes the work that God is doing in your family and within a church right now. Right now. So, we have a window of opportunity. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I am setting up what David's going to share twice over the next month and a half. He didn't tell me to do this, but I told him I was going in this direction. And he sent me a text yesterday or this morning that said, hey, that's, that, I like what you're doing or something like that. So he gave me permission. You hear that, Dr. Mills, in the back? You gave me permission. So here we go, okay? We have an opportunity we have to make sure that we do not do what the Israelites did and miss the opportunity. And we sure better make sure that any idolatry that we have within ourselves, whether it's tradition, whether it's comfortability, whether whatever the list may be that we talked about earlier, doesn't prevent us from taking advantage of that opportunity. I mean, we got that what's called GCFC thing going on, right? They're going to be giving their little primary report here in a Wednesday or two, something like that. Okay, priorities for what they're trying to do. A couple of them asked me to go to lunch with them a, 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 a couple of weeks ago. I guess I can say that I went to lunch with y'all. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't sign anything that said I couldn't, so I'm going to anyways. All right, and guess what? Listen. Whew. Their minds are amazing of directions and stuff they're thinking about. And I'm going, Wow. Praise Jesus. And I told them one thing. They were like, what do you need? And um, I told them that we have a lot. Y'all blessed us with a bunch back there in the back. And, and then I told them this. I said, whatever happens from a worship uh, uh, building standpoint, like whether it's in here or somewhere else, whatever the case may be, whatever happens from a worship facility standpoint, I said, keep in mind the, the next generation. Whether that means it's flexible enough to be used by senior adults and 14-year-olds or whatever the case may be. But keep that in mind. Why? Because we have a prime opportunity. And can I tell you it is a window of opportunity? Let me tell you why it's a window of opportunity. It's a window of opportunity because, listen, do you know that I don't know what else to, to call Call this, and so I'm just going to call it this. And I love a whole lot of guys that work in some of these churches, and I'm not calling anybody by name. Um, and so I'm just going to call it like I see it, okay? Um, we have what, what I call the brand name churches that are moving this direction. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that? Right now, they've covered up the metro area. 
the large churches that will plant satellites all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? And they, they're moving this way. You know why they're moving this way? Because 316 runs straight into where? To where? Athens. Do you hear me? One of them, Bethlehem Church down there in Bethlehem is, is knocking the doors off, right? They're doing amazing things, right? And check this out. One of those brand name churches, guess what they're doing? They're putting a site around the corner from Bethlehem Church. Well, where are they going to go next? Bogart. Where are they going to go after that? Athens. You don't believe me? Go look at the list of churches right now that are in this area, in the Oconee area and the Athens area. Some of them are already here. Why did I do that? I don't know. I think I did it for effect. Some are already here. Y'all are still listening, so I'm going to finish, okay? I see you're still with me, so I'm going to finish. If I see you moving, I'll just pray and we'll be done. Do you know we're healthy now? Do you know that? Do you know we're healthy now as a church? Do you know five years ago we weren't? Do you know that? Five years ago we weren't. We are now. We, we are now. Everything that's taken place over the last five years and even a little bit before that has been to get us healthy again. It's been to position us to see a movement of the Holy Spirit like never before. And listen, there are many churches across the metro area, and I say the metro area because, guys, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, the way 316 is rolling, we're going to be basically close to part of it before it's over with. And from a church standpoint, that's how we have to function because the way other churches function around here. If you want to keep the doors open 20 and 30 and 40 years from now. Not every church can survive the brand name church movement. Not every church is healthy enough and has the resources. What happens to the small mom and pop joints with the Walmart is exactly what happens to the small churches that don't have the resources and aren't healthy enough to sustain themselves during the brand name church movement. Do you hear me? We are. We weren't. Now we are. You know why I can tell you that? Because you can look at the demographics of our church and it can tell you that. Because you can see how many young couples we have now. Because you can see how many college students we have now. Because you can see how many teenagers we have now. Because you can see that our largest area of children's ministry is the stinking preschool back there where Dr. Mills is having a whole lot of fun right now. Might be hearing me over the microphone telling me to hush. That's where we're at. And what we have a chance to do with, with this building stuff is to solidify that. And what we have a chance to do with every other ministry in our church is to solidify that. So when Dr. Mills in a week or two weeks or four weeks, I forget the schedule, begins to share with you the vision of where he wants to go and the direction of what he wants to do. Listen, right now I'm his little bulldog that he just said sick him. He didn't really tell me that, but I'm taking on the job for a minute. Guess what? Because you can say, well, that's just that dumb student guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen to me. <laughs> Get ready. Get ready. Take advantage of the window of opportunity. Why? 
Because we do not want the next generation of Athens, the next generation of Beach Haven, to be Judges chapter 2, verse 10. I have seen church after church after church that was willing to do what was necessary to reach the next generation of families, students, singles, most of whom were lost. But I've also seen church after church after church that has missed the opportunity. And within their doors, what was said in Judges chapter 2 verse 10 could now be said of them. As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Sometimes we have to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions have long-reaching effect for the next 20, 30, 40, and 50 years. The promise of judges is that God's work would continue. But it is also a warning. And that warning is this. God's work continued throughout the book of Judges. But it continued with this question. When and where? When and where? Let Beach Haven Baptist Church be the answer to the when and the where. Let your home be the answer to the when and the where. How? By giving the next generation something to believe in. They will take their cue from you and from me. They are looking for fulfillment. They are looking for purpose. And if we focus on God's word, and we focus on reaching the lost, and we focus on growing disciples, and we focus on sending people out on mission, and we focus on training up the next generation to lead, then guess what? They will see the works of the Lord with their own eyes, and they will be the answer to the when and the where where God will move. So how do you close this today? How in the world do we close this today? Well, will you commit today to be a part of the work that God has in store for Beach Haven in the next generation and beyond? Will you commit today to not missing an opportunity as we go into 2019? Will you commit today that in your home, your children will know your story? Will you commit today that in your home, your grandchildren will know your story? Will you commit today to bring alongside your children, your grandchildren, our young families, our teenagers, our college students, to do ministry alongside of us so that they may then one day do the same thing and reach the next generation? There's a uh, song out there from back in the day. I ain't singing it. Amen. It says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, and our children sift through all we've left behind, may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road 
that we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Will you leave a legacy of the Lord's work for the next generation? I want you to stand with me very quietly, very reverently. As you stand, bow your heads and close your eyes.